Hi, everyone. This is Corey Haber, and we are back with the Resourceful Humans podcast. I have Tim and Danielle with me today, and we're going to talk about the right time to bring in HR. If you don't have HR, uh, I think that that's a very tough, uh, it's a tough decision for businesses as to when they need to bring that in. And, you know, maybe when, uh, and I really am glad I have Tim and Danielle here because from an HR perspective, they're going to be able to tell you when it's a good time as well. So please take a minute, Tim, Danielle, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background. Tim, you can go first. Sure, I'll go first. Uh, I'm Tim Stompanato. I'm the Human Resources Director of T-Network. We're a small business international logistics company and startup. A uh, little about me, I actually got my HR start working in the nonprofit arts administration as a theater coordinator for a nonprofit arts center on Chicago's South Side, and then as the company manager of a nonprofit children's theater in the city. Uh, working in smaller nonprofits and theaters that didn't have HR, I had to wear a lot of hats over the years and found myself in this generalist role, handling employee relations, recruitment, training, payroll, the, the works. And I found I really enjoyed it. I went back and got my master's in human resources and transfer transitioned fully into the HR field where I thought I could make a positive difference for both organizations and employees. I'm glad to be here. Danielle, what about you? So I'm Danielle Kale. Uh, right now I'm an independent consultant, um, but I have uh, close to 15 years of human resources experience. I transitioned to HR from the field of education and spent uh, the first 10 years of my career working for a large corporation, a Fortune 500 corporation in organizational and talent development. Um, upon getting my master's in organizational psychology, I went on to become um, the director of HR for a small startup and then um, transitioned again into freelance consulting for now. And, um, you know, really excited and to be a part of this conversation. Me too. I'm glad you both could join us. So, you know, let's, let's start off with the opposite. You know, why do you feel businesses are not bringing in an HR or why is it one of the last things that they bring in sometimes? I mean, just from my perspective, having worked in various different small businesses, there's a huge cost factor. The fact that it's, that HR is not a revenue generating uh, area of the business, even though it, you know, we'll talk about all of the wonderful things it does do, but from a dollars and cents bottom line perspective, being non-revenue generating, most businesses when they're starting up and getting moving, focus on the operation side, sales, anything that generates the revenue and keeps the business afloat. Yeah, I, I would say this along the same lines of Tim is um, definitely because HR is not, you know, revenue generating is, is one concern. Um, the other concern is that a lot of times businesses don't know what HR really does. They may think of HR as just, okay, their payroll or they're, you know, they're here to kind of um, just help with, uh, you know, people getting, people getting hired and people getting paid. And then, so they, once they figure out a solution to do that, whether it's um, outsourcing HR or hiring or having the person that's doing finance take over the payroll responsibilities, then, you know, in, in their mind, it eliminates the need to hire an HR person. That's true. And, uh, you know, also I find that sometimes 
businesses will feel that companies that handle payroll and they offer other types of services are a replacement or substitute for not bringing in HR or not having HR. Do you feel that, you know, do you feel that's the case? Do you feel like that they're, it's not the same, right? I, I definitely agree. I, I think they can be short-term solutions. I think they can be, you know, band-aids and things to get companies to the point where they can bring in HR. But again, I'm a little biased since it's my profession, but there's no substitute for having an actual person or group of people that employees can go to for questions about benefits or for hiring managers to go to, to run past for, you know, any sort of talent acquisition questions having the people makes the difference in my mind. Definitely. I would uh, certainly agree with that, Tim. And uh, one of the other advantages of having somebody in-house in part of your corporation is like, you really get to understand the nuts and the bolts. Like even if you were to outsource HR and hire someone else and they are, they're going to run things like a, like a, almost like a, um, factory line, you know, in a sense of like, they're kind of, they want to treat every client the same, but they're really not going to go the extra mile. And they're really not going to understand, you know, all the different nuances, uh, even when they, you know, they sell you extra services and extra products. So they're not going to have that inside information. That's such a great point about having that sort of factory setting of a one size fits all, bring in an HR kind of structure. Uh, It really sort of depends on what the organization's looking for too, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, T-Network, the reason that they brought me on is because they have a, their whole focus in starting this company was to be employee centric and focused on the employee and client experience and cutting down burnout, which is rampant in the logistics sector. And so having somebody who is committed and dedicated to the same vision and goals, that was a very big deal for you know my bosses at T Network, and they said, "Hey, when they interviewed me, it's this is what we're looking for. We want somebody who's all in on this. Where you know that's engaged in the people. When you're looking for that, mm-hmm. I think it's a no-brainer. And th- you know those kind of companies will say HR is worth it. If you're a company that's looking, to, okay, we need something to check the boxes. We need something to make sure that we're compliant. That uh, you know there's an answer for everything." maybe for a period of time, those, the one size fits all setting can work. Yeah. And, and I would say um, a lot depends on, to your point, the business goals, as well as the size of the business. So I was in a, when I was brought in to, as the, as an HR dedicated HR person, the company really wanted to grow. They had very aggressive goals, um, expanding to other countries and hiring, you know, completely new departments. And so they were no longer, um, yeah, they, they knew they couldn't do it, do it alone and they couldn't, uh, they had to f- figure out a different and independent people strategy to do that. Definitely. And I, that's an interesting point about growth. The fact that growth and HR go hand in hand for the, mm-hmm. you know, these smaller companies and startups, you know, once you hit a point where you've got operations, you've got sales, you've got revenue generating now there's a focus that has to switch towards sustaining while growing. You know, okay, we've got, we've got movement. Now we need to ensure a foundation. 
and that's where having that dedicated HR person, mm-hmm. I would think that is the time for a lot of small businesses when they have some sort of working capital built up. Mm-hmm. Now they're looking to sustain and that's when HR comes in. Absolutely. And um, one of the other, I think, big factors is also the company size. So, I mean, I think that a company that isn't going to, that's maybe can still fit around a conference table um, may or, you know, may not need necessarily HR as much as a company that, you know, fills up the entire half of the floor. So there's, you know, definitely a, a size factor that, that comes in there. And I think more fundamentally though, it does come, it does come down to what kind of organization that the company wants. Do they, do they really want a people-centered organization where they're, you know, making sure their employees are engaged and they are trying to help them grow and, and trying to, you know, navigate through uncertainty or, you know, are they simply just trying to go through the, go through the, uh, the motions and, yeah. you know, produce a product or hit a certain number. Yeah, and, you know, going back to how you mentioned revenue is you're right. I mean, I've just, First um, initial thought, most businesses don't see HR as revenue generating, but I feel like if you have employees that are generating revenue for you that are outside HR, HR is your tool to keep them happy and keep them around, which then in turn creates revenue. If you know, and, and also I feel like it's overlooked that HR brings in revenue by recruiting talented and quality candidates. So even though it's not directly a revenue generating department, I feel like it's, you know, overlooked a lot of times that it's one of those departments that keeps all the other departments in place, you know, and creating that revenue from them. Do you feel like that's the case of of most of the time? Well, that's, that's why I always sort of struggle with saying it's not revenue generating because while it's not dealing in services and products, it is absolutely, you know, attracting the right talent retaining that talent. Uh, Training and development costs time. It costs money. Uh, Investing in employees. If you've got a high turnover, if your employees aren't engaged, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be generating the revenue that you're hoping to generate. And that's on HR's front. if If you've got a person who's engaged and making sure that your people have a high or at least decent morale. If you've got people engaging in the right, you know, okay, here's the training that we need to do, keeping people updated on highest skill sets. You're going to save so much money in the long term that, or generate more through a higher efficiency workforce because they're happy to be there or at least don't dread being there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find? that when it comes to bringing in HR, starting your HR department, do you find that, and Tim, you might've noticed this with the company you're with, do you find that sometimes businesses are forced to choose, do we need someone to focus on recruiting? Do we need someone to focus on just HR management? Or do we need someone to just do payroll? Because there's so many different facets of HR. And just to say, when is it a good time to bring in HR is, I think, you know, it's a little vague. It's kind of like, Give, a, give me your opinion. When is a good time? When is it a good time to bring in someone to help with recruiting? When is it a good time to bring in someone to help with payroll and man HR management? T, T Network brought me on. They started in December of 2018. 
and they brought me on in April of 2020. So I'm nearing my one year anniversary, wow. uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, thank you. They, by the time I came on, they already had uh, a couple of key operations people. They had a client services and solutions and success person. They had some sales and account managers. They had the infrastructure in place to start the organization and keep the organization, you know, get it off the ground. I was the next piece in their puzzle. And again, they're a little different because their whole focus from the beginning was we want someone to focus on this. But to your point, I wear a lot of hats. It brings me back to my time in the nonprofits, you know, as a small business and startup, I'm HR, I'm, you know, talent acquisition, employee engagement, benefits, you know, I'm handling payroll. I dabble in some marketing elements, <laughs> the, the way Everything. that we can, exactly. But it's a way that we can spread things out a little bit. I'm in the epitome of a generalist role, which is exciting. You're seeing your impact. You're setting precedence every day. When a small business and startup brings in HR, they're in my mind, that's the commitment that they're making and saying, we're ready to take that next step for the brand, for our work environment and culture. This is the next step. And I, and I think um, I, would, I would agree and would also add that in terms of, you know, what kind of HR do you need in the beginning? Certainly, it really depends on size and complexity of organization. Absolutely. So. I think a generalist having the generalist um, skill set and competency is really effective because you can handle all aspects of HR um, without hiring eight people. <laughs> so I yeah. think it, it, it you know really actually makes good business sense to do that. Whereas you know as larger organizations, they're able to have separate departments that can that just do hiring, that just do training, that just do benefits, that just do compensation, just because they're you know, their employee base is, is in the, in the, in the hundreds or thousands even. Yeah. Well, and what do you find tends to be the first thing that's needed when the, no one, when the business doesn't have an HR at all, what facet of HR do you find tends to be the first part that they need help with? I, I would well, say I like, <laughs> legal and compliance. Yeah. Uh, truthfully, I mean, talent acquisition and benefits are both areas that come to mind, but legal and compliance, someone that knows the labor laws, somebody that knows, okay, hey, we got to revamp these practices. We got to get these posters hung up in the break room. Yeah. That's to me, the big one. And that's a, it's interesting that that's, you know, what you, what you feel is the, you know, first one, because I'm not in HR. So I would have guessed payroll, you know, I would have guessed that business gets overwhelmed with payroll, they try to bring in HR, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the policies, procedures, legality come, it does come first and it's overwhelming. Yeah. And some of them are intertwined in payroll. Oh, definitely. Um, the legal, especially the legal compliances issues too. Um, so I would say that I think either, either legal compliance or payroll with an understanding of legal and compliance would be, would be the first step. Definitely. And I think a lot of small businesses, uh, you can use a third-party payroll site and all mm -hmm. you need is someone to input the numbers basically, and they can make that work and you get the, you know, the printouts, the summaries and whatnot. It does a lot of that for you. 
having someone immediately jump in that legal and compliance isn't as, you know, I certainly don't want to say, you know, easy, but the, what's it called? The third party sites make it a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. The, the legal and compliance side of it, that's the one that takes a little bit more of a, just an awareness and skill set that comes from your industry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's someone outside of that scope, that perception of, we got to be paying attention to this. You need someone dedicated to, so we don't miss anything. Absolutely. And uh, so let's, let's look at before. I know we've kind of touched on different options that a business has, but I will say, I think that every business defines startup differently. So I've definitely seen businesses that are startups that have three or four people. And then I've seen businesses that might have over a hundred employees and they still, they still consider themselves in that startup phase, which I mean, I could be wrong, but do you feel like, you know, the decision to bring in HR not really revolves around the number of employees more so than like how long they've been in business? Employees, capital, and then also the range of offices. I mean, for, for my company, we have our U.S. offices are in California and Illinois. So because we've got the two different offices, even though there's only a couple people at each office, we, ha- you know, someone's got to be reaching out to everyone, making sure that needs are met, making sure that requirements are satisfied. If everyone's under one roof, 10 to 13 employees isn't as big a number, but spread out across two offices and two states. Now you've got two different states' versions of labor laws and requirements and payroll laws, especially California and Illinois. There are so many variables there. Uh, That's, I think, that getting HR in sooner or later in those situations, sooner than later in those situations is a big deal. I would agree. And I, and I do see a correlation for sure between the size of, you know, the headcount size, as well as the, the capital generated. Um, and depending on who you ask, I mean, a startup can be defined, you know, as again, like what's their, what's their stage of funding? Are they, are they revenue generating? Um, or some people call themselves a startup when they are um, just rapidly growing and expanding their business line and expanding their their headcount. So I think, it, I think it depends, um, who you ask, uh, but the startup mentality is usually always associated with something that's, you know, that's more exciting, that's fresh, that's, um, you know, that's bringing in something, something different. Do you think that industry should be a, is a part of the deciding factor as far as when bringing in HR is appropriate? Yeah, uh, I would say, I think it is, I would say it's definitely part of the equation. And I'm, and the, what I'm thinking of is like, you know, working in a hospital setting or working in an education or like working in a, you know, uh, education setting where there's field workers um, and there's, you know, people not just centralized in an office could very well be, you know, a great, you know, a great way to, to uh, bring in, or a great reason to bring in HR. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, there always, there, there is always a correlation. I think you could, I think the size and the um, geography is a bigger factor. 
I, I would be inclined to agree with that. I, having worked in various different industries from, again, theater companies to international logistics companies, I think every single organization, I've worked in the service industry as a bartender and waiter, I think every industry can benefit from HR. There is not a hindrance to getting HR. So I definitely agree that I think it's more size, capital, and understanding the need. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. You know, you bring up the the industry of like bars, restaurants. I sometimes I feel like they're the last ones to bring in HR. They are. And they uh, have so many people sometimes. They they really are. There is a lack, and I certainly don't want to speak for the entire industry, but there is a lack of human resources and an understanding of employee relations in the in the service industry. Uh, no doubt, they, and especially with the different like liabilities and compliance issues that you could have with, you know, cooks and kitchen staff and the serving of alcohol. You know, I've had to go through and become you know certified to be able to serve alcohol and be able to understand over-serving things like that. There should be a training and development structure there, you know, talk about benefits, workers comp, all the things that restaurant owners don't necessarily know or don't necessarily have the time to deal with. Mm -hmm. That industry would benefit greatly from HR and you're right. It's one of the last to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And also you're right, as far as benefits and workers comp, that's one of the last things they look at as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's unfortunately, I think a lot of, a lot of industries similar as well is, you know, they don't see it necessary to provide that type of, you know, benefits at workers comp or any type of HR services to their employees, because I think that it's just kind of thought of, a, this is just a little job for them that they do yeah. part time and, you know, but it may not be for some people, it's not part time. And some people it's their, their job, it's their career. Absolutely. There's, there's career bartenders and career servers, career bussers that make, you know, that is their living. That's their calling. And there is a severe lack of even time off structure. Right. You know, I got to come to work, even if I'm not feeling well, which in the, before the pandemic, you did because you couldn't miss that day off. You needed those hours. Uh, now I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that something that comes out of the COVID-19 pandemic is to take a step back and reassess time off policies and saying, yep. hey, if someone's not well, we shouldn't punish them. We, we should have them not come to work and not be terrified that they're missing those hours. Disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, you know, really, what is your, what are the options then, in your opinion, for businesses, they've gotten to this point, they realize they need help with recruiting, or they need help with, you know, management, they need help with payroll or policies, procedures, you know, what are their options? Because the option is, there's not just one option. It's not just hire someone. I mean, there's different, there's different ways to go about it. So what are your suggestions? You know, like Danielle, what do you suggest as far as getting started with the process? I would say to research their options. So I would say some of the options would be to hire somebody in-house to uh, be full-time. And that has that broader range of, of, of HR experience. 
Another option would be to hire um, a consultant to at least kind of do the intake and, and actually work work with you to figure out what you need, what type of HR you need and what you need first or what, what's, what are the HR focus areas to start with. Um, and then you can also go the PEO route, which stands for Professional Employer Organization, where they manage the compliance, they manage the benefits, they manage pretty much everything. And then they also provide um, counsel to managers on HR issues. So those are the three that I, I would say know of the most, and there could be others. I'm wondering, Tim, do you have any other suggestions of possible? No, I I love the idea of your first move should be research. Yeah, because it's it's a case by case basis, right? Every or you know some organizations, I think especially smaller startups, I think that one of the best routes you can go is to get a generalist. Mm-hmm. and get a, a person to come in that might not, okay, we're going to focus on talent acquisition. That's what I'm going to zone in on. I think that having someone that can do the wide array and start to build those foundations, you can always compartmentalize moving forward, but having a generalist that has a wide sense of, I can help in the macro and the micro, that's a big deal. But for some companies, having a, having a PEO is the best path, uh, especially with getting things started up. And if they need someone that, you know, we talked earlier about checking the boxes and making sure that they're not missing anything, there's nothing wrong with that path if it's the best move for that organization. Right. And I think that the doing the research also goes hand in hand with getting that consultant. I mean, if you don't know how to take yeah. that first step as into getting take into researching, that's what they're for. That's what HR consultants are there for. I mean, just like you have consultants for every other part of your life. So it is just just the same. I mean, they're there to tell you, how do you go about researching? How do you figure out what you need? Do you need someone full time that can focus on this or that? Or do you need someone that can focus on everything? And, and sometimes Hiring someone from within that may not be a, a, that may not have the experience in HR, I've seen that be much better fit than pulling someone in from the outside because even though they don't have experience in HR, they know all the employees. The employees are right. comfortable with them and they know the business, they understand the culture. So I do think that that option gets overlooked quite a bit. It's like, oh, I need this HR. I'm going to start looking for candidates that are HR professionals or that have experience. And, you know, like you, Tim, you, you moved into HR from a totally different industry. It's just, it doesn't always have to be that person that has been in HR for several years. Sometimes someone from your own company, I think it's just, it can be a better fit. Yeah. And they have, they already, yeah, to your point, they've already established their rapport and they, they know the inner workings of the company. Um, what I was also thinking of is reasons why either people avoid bringing HR until like the last minute is, you know, HR historically may not have the best reputation. And <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, they, they could perceive, again, not knowing what HR does, could perceive HR as like, oh, you know, I, you know, once we put HR in, then 
um, we're going to really have to, you know, we can't do our, rules. <laughs> our normal behaviors. The anymore. fun's gone. The fun police are here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, no more, um, wine at lunch or whatever it is that's going on. Um, which, you know, again, could put people into uncomfortable situations. So I think you also, when you're bringing in HR, um, you are kind of accepting a level of responsibility yep. that you may not have wanted to, you know, that you have to be ready for. Right. That's true. But you are right. It's kind of like having a principal in a school, Yeah. When, you know, everyone's gets nervous when the principal walks around and they got to follow their best behavior, be on their best behavior. And right. And so it's similar. I think you're right. Companies well, put it off for that reason sometimes. Yeah. That, that's a fantastic, again, it goes back to accountability and the organization saying, I'm ready to take that next step. You know, when you have someone in HR that understands compliance and hiring, all of a sudden you can't just call people 1099s anymore. Now you've got somebody that says, we need to pump the brakes and define, mm -hmm. is this person a 1099 mm -hmm. or a W-2? Uh, and that's when you don't know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but saying, let's get an HR person, let's get HR in here. They're making a conscious decision, whether they know it or not, that they're taking that accountability and they're saying, I'm ready to be that next step of legitimacy. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I've seen too, is I, I see sometimes where I don't know if I think that a lot of business owners even realize what, what responsibilities would fall under HR. Like you were mentioning earlier, sometimes you see the owners, the one doing the interviews and recruiting, yep. then you have someone else doing all the payroll and the, you know, then you have some lawyer that they might be friends with that doesn't even work for them that handles their policies, procedures, guidance. Yep. And then, you know, they, they also pay another company to do the recruiting as well. I mean, it's just, it's sometimes they have pulled HR apart into different pieces mm -hmm. to create what I kind of like a bandaid, like you said, Tim, like just to make the business run when it's just probably I could be wrong, but probably spending more money mm -hmm. that way than just spending the money to have someone do all the HR related. Yeah. I actually calculated when I uh, was brought on that they used to do outside uh, executive, like executive recruiter to bring in people. So by me coming in within the first six months, I saved 200 grand. Wow. That's remarkable. Yeah. Generating. It's like, Hey, wow. <laughs> It adds up. You don't think it does, but easy. Does. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and oh. I think there's a mentality with a lot of small businesses that, oh, well, I can just spread this out a little bit. I'll take on this. You can handle payroll. Uh, we can make this, we can make this work. You know, it's an all hands on deck situation and you're right. There's things that get lost. There's things that rack up you know, there's money that's spread out that doesn't need to be mm -hmm. having, you know, that you, those are the things that you get when you don't have somebody that that is their dedicated job is mm -hmm. I'll worry about this whole sphere. Let me worry about this sphere. And then you, you can do what, you know, frees you up to do what you do and things don't get missed. Yep. Yep. And, you know, one thing that Gosh, I just had it. 
I'll come back to it. <laughs> it was really good. I guess the other thing I was thinking of is there isn't, let's say you're still thinking, oh, I can't justify a full-time HR person. I would say with the right person, you can have that. There's so many different tasks in a startup environment that like you never know you're going to need. And so, I mean, I think the most important thing with a smaller or the growing organization is to have your first HR person be comfortable with change, be comfortable learning and picking up um, new responsibilities because they're, they're always popping up. I think I helped manage office relocations and, and did uh, communications, internal communications, helping update the website. So there was kind of like a big gamut of responsibilities that I had. And it's hard, I think, to find someone who's comfortable with change. I mean, it's, I can't imagine if you were to pull an HR director from a large corporation that had been in the industry for, you know, let's say 10 plus years to pull them into a small startup business and just constantly have things changing as they grow. I mean, that's not what their norm, that's not what their normal mm -hmm. is. That's not their, what they're used to. They're used to more routine mm -hmm. versus how do we start this? How do we create this department? Which mm -hmm. I think is another thing to keep in mind for businesses is it's not just, you're not just looking for an HR professional. You're not just looking for experience. You need someone who knows how to start and grow an HR department. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can be yeah. self-motivated and be able to take risks and, and be able to really um, stand their ground in terms of like, you know, expressing their needs um, yeah. for, you know, for things to happen because that's, it's really, you know, it's definitely really tricky <laughs> to navigate to. It is. Absolutely. And uh, what I was going to say is before when I totally blanked is that I feel like sometimes, I mean, this, it seems to be put on the back burner burner because I know other parts of HR seem to become issues and things that are overwhelming before this. But at the end of the day, I feel like the biggest issue with waiting so long to not have HR or not having it at all is that what do it like if the employee if an employee has an issue with another employee or your employee hasn't has something happen or something some issue with you know the work environment anything the only person for them to go to is the owner and i feel like that doesn't give employees a comfortable mm -hmm. um, space to discuss their feelings or discuss how they feel as far as in the environment the culture mm -hmm. maybe their management it can be very it also can be very biased if it's just mm -hmm. the owner you know i'm trying to understand how you feel especially what if the issue is with the owner yes <laughs> yes definitely and a lot of times the owner doesn't have time you know isn't even physically there Exactly. Be that resource. And so, you know, then that creates a big vacuum of like, okay, where do I go? And then you have, you could have managers um, in the organization that also don't know how to deal with, with people or don't know how to deal with people issues and, and to, you know, help, help them. So then, you know, and, and that's also another role of HR is to help, you know, help develop managers and help kind of equip them to handle some responsibilities you know, on their own, in their own way, so that it doesn't, you know, they don't have to rely on HR for everything. Absolutely. You know, the, the art of employee relations and managing people, and I, I, that's a part of HR that I think is one of the most important facets, 
you know, managing conflict, uh, navigating through that. And I think there's a lot of managers that are out there, a lot of people out there that are still like, well, you know, we'd rather, isn't it easier if we just get along or is it easier to, you know, do you really want this to be an issue? And it's HR, when somebody comes to HR, that's our time to say, okay, let's break this down. Let's mm-hmm. figure out where we're at. Uh, what steps do we have to take? Is there dip- disciplinary action? Uh, that's when the HR person's mind starts to, you know, mm-hmm. the plan starts to formulate, you know, we're in an era, you know, we are ushering in this reckoning of a new work environment of safer work environments where people are not only put into a position to succeed, but they're put into a position where they can be safe and comfortable at work. And again, it, it keeps yeah, going right. back to accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you feel like that sometimes the, um, I guess I'm thinking of a good way to describe this. Some, sometimes I feel like the, the, ease, the reason HR is usually also part of the training and helping management is they are less biased, you know, that might have, because of course the owner and like CEOs, they have, they are managers, they have their own way of doing it. And, and that goes back to retainment and revenue generation, I think is you, these businesses waste so much money sometimes hiring and then rehire, I'm sorry, firing and then hiring someone new and spending time training them and paying someone else to help train them all because they may just not have someone good that's helping teach their managers how to teach their other employees, which all comes back to HR at the end of the day. I, I love what you brought up about the unbiased element of it. You know, with my organization, I you know pride myself and me and the rest of leadership, I pride myself on being a strategic partner and advisor to the rest of leadership. I, you know, provide my, I do my research. I provide my recommendations. I say, okay, this is what I think we should go with on this. This is what I'm really seeing on trends and being proactive. We might want to make some moves towards this. Uh, this is how we make this compliant because I'm, they deliberately brought me in as an outside perspective. You know, this wasn't traditionally my industry. This wasn't traditionally, you know, my sort of area, but I'm able to take that outside perspective, take that unique HR perspective and say, let's blend these together and see what we can come up with to create the best strategy to move forward. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, that's how I think people need to think as far as when they're moving into this new HR role, if there's no HR prior to them being there. When you you know, let's, from the other end of things, when someone starts in an HR role, this is the first time the business has had HR and you're trying to grow and build that department. What do you both feel is the first thing that that person should do? Like, what's the very first thing they start their first day? You know, what, what should you do to try and get HR, you know, going? I mean, the first thing that I did was get to know people. Uh, especially as a small business where you can get to know everybody. That was the first thing that I did was I worked with the managing director and we scheduled times for me to talk with everybody 
every department. And I was able to get an in-depth of, so tell me not only about yourself, but what do you do? What do you think puts you in the best position to succeed with your job? What are you missing? What do you need? And I was able to get the, get a better understanding of where we were at and get an understanding of the needs of the organization through the eyes of its people. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crucial. Absolutely. Um, and I would say in kind of parallel with that, I uh, also, you know, did a little bit of just in, you know, through observations, just kind of auditing where things were yep. like understanding, okay, so do we have a HRIS? Do we have any procedures for hiring? Do we have any procedures for, um, for how do we deal with our records? Like, and just kind of just understand like the state of the, like the current state, you know, what's been done. And, and then through the information that you get from employees, then it's, you, then you really get to figure out where you, where you want to focus on. And how do you, like, maybe you've seen it before, but how does a company announce that they have HR? You know, I, I can imagine a company announcing, oh, we've hired a new HR manager, director, and employees saying they don't even know what HR is. You know, they, it's just like, okay, nice to know. And I mean, what is your, you know, what would you say needs to be the best route to go about that? Because that's a, that's a department that does involve employees knowing what it is and that it's there for them. And if they've never been in a business with HR, if they don't know what it is, you, a business can't just say we've hired so-and-so, mm-hmm. which yeah, is I mean, happen a lot. Yeah. I mean, I certainly encouraged and wound up writing a lot of organizational announcements when during my time. And it's basically for that very reason to not just say, here's the person in the title. It's but saying, this is what the person, why we hired this person. Here's, you know, a little bit about them and here's, you know, how you'll be interacting with them in the future. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's great. You know, being able to launch a, at least a general rough estimate of what that person's going to be covering, obviously, we adapt to the needs of the organization, but being able to give people any sort of picture about what this person's going to be doing when they come in. And again, I, I'm a firm believer of, okay, we give them the snapshot and then actions. So you start to roll out, hey, we have an HRIS system. Here's a breakdown of what this is, what it's going to do for you. This is going to make your lives infinitely easier from this point forward. Uh, being able to roll out different initiatives and through your actions and through communicating. I, I'm, I'm a big communicator. I believe that most things can be answered through transparency and communication. And so, you know, talking with people saying, hey, this is what I'm here for. Uh, how can I work with you on this? You know, let me know if there's things we can do. Uh, and through your actions in a shorter rather than longer time, people are going to know and they're going to start coming to you for, hey, this seems like an HR question or, hey, I want to run something past you, HR. Uh, They start to know because of the actions that you do every day. Right. And, uh, you know, interesting um, thing also is that there are companies that they have HR, but they have so many different locations that, those different locations don't even have a clue who HR is or that it even exists. So like, so what is your, you know, do you think that it's necessary to have someone in HR in each location or should HR 
make it a point to travel regularly to some of these locations? I mean, how do you how do you go about making sure that they know that it's easy to access HR and speak to them, even if they're not physically in the same place as them? I would definitely encourage um, the you know, and if there are multiple locations for the HR person to be located in the area where there is the biggest population or the biggest um, sense of urgency, but for certainly make it a regular point to, to travel and be accessible. Thank gosh, for one of the great things with the pandemic is that it's really opened up people's eyes about using video conferencing um, as a way to communicate. And so I think now maybe the, the HR person doesn't have to do the, the travel all the time. They can just connect with people uh, through, you know, through Zoom or through Teams or whatever platform they have. Right. Yeah. I, to leverage the FaceTime. Yeah. I, I joined right at the start of the pandemic when I believe right before I joined, that was the two week lockdown we were going to have. Uh, and so from my first day, it was remote and it was video conferencing everybody. And so it's a matter of, you know, I feel like our California team, you know, I haven't met them in person. I haven't been able to meet them in person, but I still feel connected with them because we have been utilizing and we shifted to the remote structure and the video structure. There's still a connection there. I'm hoping, you know, once, you know, every, you know, everything's over with this, there will be a little more travel and being able to, you know, touch base and show there's a presence and that, not only am I this, you know, nebulous, you know, HR presence, but I'm also, you know, a tangible person that can be reached and accessed. And, you know, one thing that might be difficult too is if you're in an industry where your employees are not used to being on the computer all day, or they don't need to get on a computer. I mean, I, there are lots of businesses where, there are employees even that don't have smartphones now yeah. still. So I, I do think also you need to be aware of that if you're in that type of industry, yes, Zoom is great, but then how are you gonna go about, not train for lack of a better word, training your employees that to get on that Zoom and talk to you virtually? And Tim, did you find, is, is your industry, is your group of employees, were they used to this you know, sitting in front of a computer all day. So was it easy for them to get on Zoom or are they more, you know, not? I, I found with the organization that I joined with T-Network, everyone, because we had the two offices and we have overseas offices, there was already a built-in need to be communicating with each other uh, through Zoom or and Teams is what we primarily use. Uh, there was already that infrastructure in place. So the big shift to remote during the pandemic wasn't too much of a burden to shift. Uh, again, just because of the nature of what we do as you know, freight forwarding brokers and whatnot, that structure was there. Uh, count myself very lucky <laughs> for that because that is not always the case. Right, that's true. I was going to say my... Um, in my uh, current consulting work, the company I'm working with, they were not really well equipped to do Zoom and was never, you know, they're, they're, a lot of their work is, is in the field. So that there was a big learning curve going on. 
um, initially and, and getting people up to speed and figuring out how to navigate. Um, but luckily they're in a much better place and trying to embrace technology moving forward. It's great. So let's jump back real quick to, you know, you, you mentioned how, you know, when it's time to bring in HR is growth a goal, right? How does a company, you know, what type of growth? I could totally see a business going, well, growth in what way? Mm -hmm. You know, growth is in as far as numbers of employee, growth is in let's expand to other areas, you know, revenue. What what were you referring to as far as growth? I always, I mean, I think they're very much correlated. Um, so I think it just depends on if, if, if your company is, is really, let's say they're making 50, the revenue is 50 million and they're like, oh, we're going to go to 55 million. I would interpret that as, okay, maybe or that may or may not affect headcount at all. Cause it's like not that significant, but yeah. like if they were to say, okay, a hundred million and it, we were only at 50, then I would say, well, you're going to certainly need more people to help enable that like physically there, I mean, there really isn't a very many ways to be able to do that with, with it just not hiring anybody. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say building on that growth is another one of those nebulous words, much like startup where everyone has a little bit of a different <laughs> definition. Uh, I look at growth a lot, you know, in the way that my brain works with it is forecasting, and proactive planning for growth. If you're a smaller business that wants to stay small and you know, trying to figure out, okay, incremental smaller growth over time, we don't want to get way too ahead of ourselves and build to a point where it's not sustainable, the growth that we're in. Uh, you've got to look at the working capital that you have and sort of plan for that. Whereas if you're a business that's saying, we want to grow. We want to add more people. We want to start, start a new branch. We want to keep this ball rolling. Then you've got a forecast for that. And you've got to try, it becomes the balancing game of yeah. trying to match revenue growth with headcount. Cause if one gets too far ahead of the other, that sustainability yep. starts to shake. And what also I forgot to mention is that growth, um, if you have, you know, company, new company goals and you want to grow, you're going to need new capabilities. Yeah. Those goals and those goals, and that would directly feed into who you, who you're going to need to hire and what type of talent you need. So it's also, so it's not just numbers, it's actually figuring out like, what kind of people do I need? And that goes back to, you know, where is the company growing and, and what are those, and do, the, do you have those capabilities already? You're right. And also, you know, I know I'm kind of jumping around, but this just came to mind as well, is that it, it's, it's kind of comical because a lot of times I'll see that to substitute or puts, designate someone in that HR role, it's usually put on someone like a, an office manager or like an assistant to the, you know, to the owner or director or whatever, which I think is just sometimes just as not bad, I guess, unsuccessful as as far as starting an HR as it is to not have an HR. But I wanted your opinion on that because, you know, that's not 
that I, I almost feel like you're kind of just throwing something on someone to say you have it and they're not going to dedicate their full focus and attention to that because that's not their job. You're, you're proposing it as if it's just extra responsibilities. Like, oh, your job's to take out the trash mm -hmm. now every week. I mean, it's not, it's not really emphasizing the importance of HR. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I definitely would. Uh, I think that there's a lot to be said about putting people in a position to succeed. And I think that sometimes there's a mindset that, and I understand the mindset that HR is another part of support and we can roll it in with the administrative role and we can just give somebody all the office management responsibility and the admin responsibility. And that is not putting a person in my mind, it, strictly, strictly from my opinion, Mm -hmm. That is not putting someone in the best place to succeed. And I mm -hmm. think that it can in turn be a detriment to your human resources department if it's an afterthought. If somebody is already focusing on the very important aspects and elements of their position, and now they've got to worry about this whole, whole giant world of HR as well, mm -hmm. that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a risky gamble. Right. And, you know, going, oh, go ahead. Daniel. Yeah, I would say the only thing I would add is like, you know, rather than thinking about um, if you were to put some, give somebody HR responsibilities that wasn't technically in HR, I would just say, look for a genuine concern for people yeah. and, you know, someone that's, that can connect with people and that loves interacting with people. And then, you know, the, the other finer skills of HR um, can be learned over time. Um, so, uh, but if you have that initial, Hey, I care about people and I, and I want to make sure that, you know, people are cared for, then, you know, with the right training, you can, you can transition people into that role. That's exactly it. Empathy, communication, yeah. and problem solving. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they've got those skills, they'll be able to navigate mm -hmm. at least the general overviews of HR. Mm -hmm. And so speaking of problem solving, let's say, I mean, a business starts to feel like they need HR, they bring in HR. Now we run into this issue of you got an HR team of one. When does this HR team of one or how does this HR team of one decide that it's time to grow the team? How do you bring that? How do you even determine that? And how do you explain to the owner, whoever your higher up is, that that you can't be an HR team of one anymore. Because I do think that for the <laughs> HR directors, managers that might be watching this, that's the, for them, that's their perspective is not whether to bring in HR from the ground up, but also like, how do we bring in HR and make it bigger, more part of yeah. our um, company? I, if you go ahead, Daniel. No, I was just going to say, I think it's, it's a, um, I think it's like a case by case situation because yeah. um, really it's about, you know, I, I, th I find it's pretty, depending on the size and the scope of responsibilities, it's pretty um, physically demanding to, for one person to do it all. I think one person doing it all just creates, uh, it's a recipe for, for burnout. Um, and so I would say not, <laughs> you know, I think it's a definitely a capacity issue. And then it's also uh, a business strategy issue. So you could have somebody 
extremely um, well-versed at kind of setting an HR strategy and really handling the bigger concepts, but they maybe they don't have the, the patience to do kind of the finer things and they need assistance or they don't have the bandwidth to do the recruiting and the strategic level things. Um, but you could have somebody that's totally, you know, a generalist and, and really can handle um, everything uh, under their under their scope at a, at a good capacity, but maybe they don't have that bigger picture strategic vision. And so then you might need an additional, you know, you might need a different type of HR person. So I think it just depends on where the organization is, what they're trying to do and, and what their business, what the business goals are. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's a case by case basis. Uh, I love what you talked about, about sort of separating, okay, this person excels in this area. What's an area that we need somebody, you know, I'm always a big believer that the sec, if you have a generalist, the second HR position that you should get is a recruiter Mm -hmm. because recruitment and talent acquisition after working for a staffing company, it is, you could spend your entire day doing talent acquisition, sourcing, uh, forecasting, finding someone dedicated to that, you know, especially as the business starts, I think it's tied to growth. Uh, I think that it's all tied to that same incremental growth and forecasting when, you know, it's the same thing of as your business grows, all of a sudden you need managers to, because the departments are big enough to warrant a manager now. Uh, HR is the same way, you know, growing to a point where say you've got two different office locations, maybe you want somebody set up in that other location because now both locations are big enough that really we could justify having two people Mm -hmm. and having someone that focuses on, you know, total rewards. That's their, that's their total rewards package benefits, you know, merit cycle, things like that. Uh, However you want to break that down. I I think that that is such a case by case basis and Mm -hmm. it's based on the needs of company and growth. Yeah. I, I agree. And also it's just, I don't even think people, I mean, owners, CEOs realize how time consuming every facet of HR can be. I mean, I will be honest. I didn't even realize it till I really started working closely (laughs) with HR is just, you know, all I do is benefits. That's a full-time job. I just don't know. I mean, I am just amazed when HR can do benefits they do the recruiting they do the interviews the hiring the onboarding they do the policies procedures they do everything i mean all of the different parts of hr you could be sitting there all day long doing oh yeah oh yeah and we are (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) i know (laughs) it's just it's incredible all day and night yep (laughs) and i i think that that is like widely overlooked by businesses too how much time has to go into each part of HR for it to be very successful. Yes. I have seen too many businesses keep an HR department of one for too, too long as well. Mm -hmm. And there might also be some stubbornness as someone who's a little stubborn and has a little bit of that prideful sense themselves. There is that thing of, I've got it. I can handle it. You know, let me shoulder this burden because again, there's a lot of people that go into HR that have that empathy and that mm-hmm. desire to problem solve. Uh, I'm one of those people. And it's sometimes 
it's not only the business, but it's also the HR person themselves. Right. And we've got to sit down and say, realistically, if I have somebody managing this area of HR or these areas of HR, how much more time does that free up for mm -hmm. me to tackle the things I need to tackle? Right. And the very last thing I want to talk about, which I wanted to say for the end, because I know it can be a little, very opinionated topic, but <laughs> um, I find a lot, I mean, there are a lot of businesses out there that are made up of all 1099s, if not mostly 1099s. And, and from what I see a lot, that is, you know, technically 1099s are not employees. So that is, you know, that is how they are seen. And I, I don't know if I feel like that is acceptable all the time. You could have 50, 1099s. They need, they still need someone to go to. They still need someone to train them and they, you know, they still need benefits. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, what are your thoughts as far as, you know, businesses that are, they have all 1099s, you know, whether they need, need to provide them with the HR or do they not? And, you know, what if yeah. you have a mix, you know, do you, uh, do you communicate to 1099s that HR is for them too? They can come to you. I just, I think it gets pretty, um, yeah. it's a very great area. There, it, this could be in its, its own entire <laughs> hour podcast, frankly. Uh, my first thought if somebody says, Hey, I've got 50, 1099s, I go, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> let's okay. sit down. Let's sit down and break down yeah. if these people are 1099s because so many 1099 employees as someone who was a 1099, I juggled three different 1099s a year for several years uh, at the start of my career. There's misclassifications. It, yeah. The misclassification runs rampant and it's nobody's deliberate fault. It's because they're nebulous and very vague definitions of what 1099 is. And a lot of people can't find a straight answer. Uh, I, I would say that for a company with a lot of 1099s, HR is actually even more important in some ways because someone has to make sure that the, you know, these representatives of the organization, they are, they're not employees but they are representatives of the organization and anything that happens to them mm -hmm. under that contract of with the organization, HR needs to have that responsibility and needs to have that rapport. Right. Yeah. And I would just say that it's, it comes down to um, business owners, not really understanding the classification system and not understanding what's, you know, legit or not. And also not wanting because on, uh, initially, it sounds like, oh my gosh, 1099 is the way to go because I, it's kind of less liability and it's, you know, it's less out of less, less tax on me, less tax, yeah. less this, less that. So I think it's, um, it's, it can be very attractive from the, just, you know, looking at it on paper, but um, from, from a retention standpoint and from a um, engagement standpoint, I think, you know, again, it's, it's really it's, it's not, it's not a long-term solution. It's, it's, it's actually almost more risky because you really don't have the loyalty. I mean, what's making anybody stay really? I mean, just kind of like, all right, you, you know, you might offer me a paycheck, but that's, that's it. Whereas an employee is going to get, is going to get um, the benefits. It's going to get the time off. It's going to get, you know, more of the 
connection, hopefully to the company that's going to want them to stay. Right. Definitely. And I think there's got to be clear breakdowns of who is this person responsible to, you know, you can't just have these nebulous, this army of 1099s out there with Mm -hmm. no responsibility or accountability to anyone. Some of those people have to have, you know, direct reporting. Uh, Some of those people have to have clear guidelines from the business. And at that point, they're no longer 1099s. And that's how fast it can shift. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we went over that because I do think there's a lot of that going on out there. I love that conversation. It could be an episode in itself. (laughs) Absolutely right. But I, I really appreciate your time, both of you. And I think this was very helpful. I mean, I think that there are lots of places out there struggling with when to bring in HR, when do you grow HR? And it's a big topic, especially right now, the pandemic. So thank you both for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for having us. This was a wonderful time. It was a blast.